Okay. Hopefully that works. But hello everybody. It has been quite some time since I've been here, but I'm excited that uh, my dad allowed me to come back here um, and to preach to everyone today. And I'm excited to be able to do this um, for the past year, about a year now, which is crazy to think that I've now been at Master Seminary and equipped and learning from amazing professors uh, towards becoming a pastor and just training and learning from these amazing men uh, at my church. And so I'm just thankful that we are here gathered together, just being able to look at God's word and learning of today, just asking, answering the question of what is the gospel? And this is such an essential question, but even Christians and non-Christians alike ask that question of what is the gospel and why is it important? What is essential and what is not essential? But the biggest thing also is just why does it matter? And why is the resurrection so important as a part of that? So please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be reading 1 through 11. Um, so this is, I'll try to say anti, nun Korean, but sip han, but nun, but sip it. I tried. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll read the whole paragraph of verses one, verse one through verse 11. So verse one, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to the one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we come here just thankful that first that we have your word that we have these 66 books that have gone through such a journey and such so many people have fallen just to be able to give us the scripture here today, Lord. And I'm just so thankful that we have this before us and that we may understand it and that your spirit may illuminate our understanding and aid us in just learning of your will and your word that you revealed throughout scripture, Lord. And just thankful that we can now just be able to look at a few verses and just be able to see what is the gospel? What did your son do on that cross? And why does that resurrection matter so much? And we're thankful for Paul to write these words and through all that he faced of just writing this letter, Lord. And I'm thankful that we now can look to you and be able to worship you and honor you in exalting your word, Lord. In your name I pray. 
Amen. So, let's see. And so, today we're going to look at only these first four verses, verses 1 through verse 4. And we're going to try to tackle that big question of what is the gospel and why does the resurrection matter? And so, first off, of what is the gospel and who wrote this? So, first off, that this is the book of 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was in Corinth and started a church there. Let's see, I should have... This is a little bit hard to see, but Corinth is in modern-day Greece, and it was just a major city that it was a lot of trade, and there was a port there. So there's a lot of people, and it was a pretty large city. And so this was just a very large city with a lot of different cultures, and diversity, and so there was just a large mix of people. And so, during this time that Paul started this church, there was just a large number of different religions, beliefs, and people. And so now that Paul's starting a church, there's just going to be a lot of growing pains. And so that first growing pain, or one of the growing pains, is just that question again of what is the gospel and why does the resurrection of Jesus Christ matter? And so today, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, we're going to look at two reasons why we must understand the work of Christ in the gospel that saves, so that you may know of why that gospel is important and why the resurrection matters. So we're going to look at the gospel reception in, in verses 1 and 2, and then the gospel presented in verses 3 and 4. And so... So now let's look at just a small part of verse 1, this first part. Now I make known to you, brethren. So that first word, <clears throat> now. So I think in Thai that's thani. So it's just now this is what he's going to go through. But what did Paul go through in this letter in the 14 chapters before? A large part of 1 Corinthians is a lot of correction. Paul, in growing this church in a very diverse city, there's just a lot of, I say, growing pains with the church. And there's just a lot of small problems that Paul must address. And so some of these problems is that there churches within the church, there started to be divisions among the different people. We see that in chapters 1 through 3. And there's also sexual immorality. And there are lawsuits against each other in chapters 5 and 6. And there are many other problems, but also spiritual gifts and proper worship in chapters 12 through 14. And so now we come to this culmination at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 of what is the gospel. And also, there's still a problem in just answering that question because there were Christians within the church that didn't see the weight and didn't really see the... Oh, they just didn't really see why it mattered of the resurrection of Christ. And so Paul here is going to explain what the gospel is and why it is so important that Christians must understand, that you must understand the resurrection of Christ. So first, this first verse, or this first part, now we make known to you, brethren. And so with this problem and the lack of importance of the resurrection, there were just 
people that thought that they knew better. They thought that there wasn't a need for the resurrection. And so Paul comes here to remind them of the gospel and show them. And so now I would like to show you and through these verses. And so this next part. Oh, there you go. The gospel which I preach to you. And so Paul preached them in such a difficult environment. When he first came to Corinth, he started preaching in the synagogues. And there was a lot of people that started blaspheme him. Or they were hecklers. And they were hostile to Paul. And so through in this very first moment of just him just trying to share the gospel himself, that he already faced much opposition immediately through the synagogues. Thankfully, he had helpers that came with him, and they started slowly to build the church through that. And so we see that in this next part of verse 1. And so through verse 1 and verse 2, I read it again. There are four marks of a genuine Christian, and I want you to identify and see for yourself as well. So in the second half, starting the second half of verse 1, Paul starts with the gospel which I preach to you, and then it goes, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you. And so, this first one, by which you received, which also you received. So like I said, that Paul faced a lot of this opposition. And so this first mark of a true believer is that they receive the word. Now, this word is referring to the gospel. They receive the gospel. So what is that going to look like as a genuine believer that's received the gospel? The first thing is that they're not going to be hostile towards somebody, say, preaching the gospel like Paul. They're not going to be a heckler, but they're going to receive. Now, that may take some time to soften a hardened heart, but eventually a genuine Christian will be able to receive and they will see the gospel. They won't try to be hostile or be mean towards the person proclaiming the gospel. And then second, in which also you stand. And so I mentioned before that this Corinthian church, they had a lot of different problems that started growing the church, so much so that they started looking at, or they started dividing themselves amongst each other. Some of them were, oh, I am of Christ. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. But really, the whole church is within Christ and Christ alone. And so through all of these problems that the church was having, that a genuine Christian will stand in the faith. Now, this can mean two things. This means that they stand in the grace of the gospel, meaning that the grace that Jesus Christ has brought to us solely through the gospel, they now stand in that. But also that they stand firm in the gospel. It means that they hold to it and they're not going to let go. That is a second mark of a genuine belief. They're going to stand firm in the gospel. And then second, of by which you are saved. So a genuine Christian will understand of what they are now saved from. They understand that God in his perfect and holy nature is going to judge sinners, but only through the gospel we are now saved. And so Christians understand that they have now been saved from that. And that's only through the work of Christ that holds to them. And so Christians understand the, what they are saved from and who are they saved by. That is the third mark of a genuine believer. And then the third, or the fourth one, 
It starts with the word if. Now this means it's conditional, meaning true or false, yes or no. So a genuine Christian says, if you hold fast to the word. And so a genuine Christian is going to hold fast to that word. And then it says, the word which I preached it. It's going, they're going to hold fast to that gospel. They're going to hold to that belief. So kind of like we were saying before, in the second point of standing firm in the gospel, they're going to hold to it as well. Throughout any opposition, through any hostility, they're going to hold to that. And so through these four marks of a genuine believer, then we get this last part of verse 2, unless you believe in vain. Now, this is another conditional clause of yes or no, true or false, unless you believed in vain. So Paul has gone through four marks of a genuine believer, but then we come here that if you believed in vain, then you are not going to have those four marks of a genuine believer. This shows that there are some people that they're going to say that they're a Christian. They're going to say that they're a part of this church, but they are truly not a Christian because they have lived or they believed in vain. So vain can mean without consideration, meaning they're not going to think about it, or without any result, they're not going to show it. And so this can show that there is genuine and non-genuine believers, and they're not going to show and exhibit those four marks of a genuine believer. And so that is the gospel presented by Paul to the church in Corinth. And now we're going to come to now what is the gospel? The gospel explained. Paul gave it to them. Now what is the gospel? So first off, for I deliver to you as a first importance. This is the first part of verse 3. Now, this shows that Paul, he is the one that is preached to the Corinthian church. He personally delivered the gospel to the church in Corinth. But this also shows that he himself has now been charged to be able to preach that gospel to the church. And to you as first importance. This shows how important this is to Paul. He is so, this is such a priority for him. And this is his calling now as an apostle that he must preach this gospel to the churches. And so, in the next part of verse 3, of which I also receive. Now, we mentioned before of four marks of a genuine believer, but then we must ask first of, how about Paul? Does Paul exhibit the four marks of a genuine believer? So please turn with me to Acts 9, starting in verse 1, so that we may identify and we can see for ourselves of Paul's conversion, and we can see these four marks of a genuine believer. So first, in verse 1, now Saul this is Paul, this is his name before, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So pause there. So verse 1, we already see that Paul, or Saul here, is hostile. So he is like the one that is blaspheming. He is the one that is hostile towards other Christians. And he is reading threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So we can see here that he 
is not a genuine believer, for he is actively persecuting the Christians and the disciples of the Lord. Now go down to verse eight or verse three with me. Excuse me. As he was traveling, it happened that he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, bearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. So we see here that while Paul was on the road to Damascus, that he saw the resurrected Christ. Acts comes after the four Gospels, and so we see that we know that Christ has already been resurrected, and Paul himself saw him. So Paul, while he was actively persecuting the church, he saw Christ here, and he could see, and the Lord asked him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hostile towards me and my disciples and my people? And so, Paul is also blinded. There are scales over his eyes that he cannot see right now. And so he goes into Damascus, and a Christian by the name of Ananias comes to visit him, as we'll see now in verse 17 and 18. And I'll read that. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be lifted or be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. So we see here that this is where the persecutor, perhaps the most infamous of the persecutor of the Christians, has now become a Christian. And that's only through the work of Christ and for Paul to see Christ on that road. And so what does this now result in? What does this look like now? So go down to me with, go down to, with me to verse 20, and we'll read to verse 22. And immediately, this is Paul, began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not the one who is in Jerusalem, destroyed those who called on his name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Now, but Saul kept increasing in strength, and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by providing or proving that this is Jesus the Christ. And so in only half a chapter in Acts here, Paul has become Paul has gone from a persecutor of the church, so now he is proclaiming the gospel in the very same places in the synagogues. We see such a change within him. And that is called that change is called conversion. And so we see Paul with these four marks of a genuine believer that he received the gospel only through Christ. He stood firm in the gospel, knowing that he is now going to be questioned as he's preaching. He is going to hold fast to that. And ultimately, we know that he is now saved. And he does not believe in vain because he is fully now, has dedicated his life to going and sharing the gospel throughout all of this region. And so now I keep saying the word gospel and also gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But how about that part of Jesus Christ? What does Jesus Christ have to do with the gospel? What did he do? So now we'll go on to the next part of verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now we've heard a lot about what happens to people in the gospel. What is the mark of a genuine believer? We see personally with Paul what has occurred to him for him to become from a persecutor to now a Christian and a proclaimer. And so now we have to ask of what did Christ do for the gospel? So first, that Christ died for our sins according to the gospel. So Christians, we call this special story Easter. Other churches call it Resurrection Sunday, and we'll get to that part in a second. But this part, specifically for our sins, what is this for? And so we also have to look at this next part. One sec. The next part of verse 3 also says, according to the scriptures. And so we have all this just in one part of a verse. So we may have to ask of what does all this mean? According to the scriptures. So first off, according to the scriptures means that this has been shown and prophesied since the Old Testament. And so we know that the Bible is all together. All 66 books are connected together and is written by the Holy Spirit through various writers. And that even Christ the Messiah has been prophesied hundreds of years before. And now we can look at that and see what Christ has done and what has been prophesied long before. So there are many examples I could turn to, but perhaps the most prominent example is Isaiah 53. So will you turn with me to Isaiah 53? So here in Isaiah 53, this is about 700 years before Christ ever walked on this earth. And so, how, so we have to ask, how is it that 700 years before that we can already see Christ and people awaiting for him and what Christ will do when he is on this earth? So Isaiah 53, verse 10, going to verse 12. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see, he will see his offering. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By this knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So this servant here in Isaiah 53, 700 years before, is already speaking of the Messiah that is going to come, as we see in verse 11, that he will justify many. And then in verse 12, he poured out himself to death. And he himself bore the sin of many. 
So 700 years before, we already see that Christ, he is going to die. And he is going to do that for the sins of not himself, but for other people. And so what is that going to look like when Christ himself is on the earth? Now turn with me to Luke 23, where we can see that for ourselves. Luke 23 starting in verse 44. And so, just to show what's happening here, this is part of the Easter story as we come straight into here, that Christ, he has been accused of being called, or calling himself the Messiah or the Son of God. And the people now want to crucify him, really crucify him through the Roman government. And so on that cross, now we come here now to verse 44 of Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour. The darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So... First, we see that there's a great darkness all the way from the sixth hour, which is about 9 a.m., all the way to the ninth hour, which which is about 3 p.m., or from noon to about 3 p.m. And so Christ died at 3 o'clock on that Friday. And so now also in verse 44 or verse 45, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now, we don't have time to unpack that more, but essentially this was a very big deal to the Jews, that this was in the most holy of places within the temple, and Christ was shown that he was going to do this, but nobody believed him. And so, needless to say, the Jews were astonished when this happened, when Christ died. So we see here, Christ died on that cross, and he breathed his last spirit as he was up there. And so we go on of what happened after he died on that cross. The next part, and he was buried. Now, some people say that Christ didn't actually die on that cross, that either he was in a comatose state or he just wasn't quite fully dead yet. But we can see that with this verse that, and that he was buried, that Christ truly died on the cross like he said that he would. So we'll see that. Come down with me now to Luke 23, now to verse 50. And a man named Joseph, this is not the father of Jesus, or the stepfather of Jesus Christ, but another man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. He had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who's waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock, where no one had ever lain. We know that Christ truly died on that cross, and how important that is to understand, because this was a Jewish custom to be able to wrap him, his body, and place him in a tomb, and he was left there as customary for three days. And now, somebody who is only 
close to death and not fully dead was not going to last those three days in a tomb with a rock covering it like that. Christ truly died. And that may seem somber now, but we understand that this has this is as planned, that Christ knows what's going to happen through this. And that this is all according to what the Father has planned. And we see that immediately in the next part. And that he was raised. So Christ died on that cross, and now he is going to be raised. So flip to the next chapter in Luke 24 now, uh, verse 3 through 9. So a group of women went to the tomb to anoint the body with spices. This was customary for the Jewish people. And so now we go to verse 3. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has now risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. They returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So you can see that as these women went to this tomb that Jesus was laid, there were two men, two angels that were there. And they said, Christ isn't here because he has risen now. Christ has risen from the dead. That this somber moment of them about to anoint Christ's body with spices as customary for like a funeral, but now he has risen. And they were astonished and wanted to tell others immediately. And so he was raped. He died on that cross. He died a true death. He was buried in that tomb. And now he has been raised for all humanity. And so the next part in First Corinthians, on the third day according to the scripture. On the third day according to the scripture, that we see that this was all shown by Christ. Christ told them that this would happen. And yet they didn't remember it until these angels reminded them. So go with me to now further down in Luke 24, verse 44 now, and we'll go to verse 48. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are the witnesses to these things. So Christ, in his resurrected body, he started to appear to people. And in this case, he reminded the people that he appeared to of, I have told you all this before. 
but you completely forgot about. But now you are now reminded that I have shown you and taught you these things and that I would die and rise on the third day. And now they remember. And like the woman at the tomb that they were astonished by it. And now they're all witnesses to it. And now they want to share that with so many other people. Just like Paul, that he is now a witness to the resurrected Christ. He has now been appointed an apostle of Christ. And to want to share that with other people. And so now, go back with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And now we will see and ask that question. For a Christian, why is it so important that we understand the resurrection? Why is it so important? And Paul is doing an apologetic towards people that either forgot the importance of the resurrection, and there are even some Christians that either didn't understand what the need for it was, or that outright denied it. And so now we'll see in verses 12, verse 12 through 14, Paul showing this is essential to the gospel. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. So Paul here is showing that that resurrection from the dead through Christ is essential, and that we must believe in that, or else our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. So all the, the faith that Christ has given to Paul, that would be in vain. Or like we said earlier, with vain, just without result, without consideration. And all of his effort in preaching throughout the region that he was in would also be in vain. All the trouble that he went to, the missionary journeys and all the shipwrecks and hostile people that he had to encounter would all be in vain. But it is solely on the fact of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ through his work on the cross that is now resurrected from the dead that all that Paul and all that Christians may do now in the future in faith and in preaching may not be in vain. And so Christians cannot deny the resurrection. We cannot deny that reality that Christ truly died on the cross he was he died and was buried in a tomb and he came and rose on the third day and that he may appear to some people and now those people are now witnesses and proclaimers of what they have seen and the resurrected christ christ died on that cross for all of our sins and for my sins and we cannot deny that that he was taken down from that cross and so We cannot deny that death on that cross was for the forgiveness of our sins. And so now we have to ask ourselves, we have to go back to what we talked about earlier of those four marks of a genuine believer. That now we understand the facts of the resurrection and understand the gospel and the elements of it. But now we have to ask ourselves, of those four, mark, four marks of a genuine believer, is that me? 
ask yourself that. Have I received the gospel, received it without hostility, and opened my ears to hear it? Have I stood in the gospel throughout any opposition, but also have stood in that grace that he has sufficiently given me? Do I know what I am now saved from in the gospel, knowing that our sins is against the holy God, and only Christ now has interceded. He is now our substitute for that wrath for our sins. Do we know as a Christian of what we are now saved from? And lastly, do we hold fast to the gospel? Do we hold fast throughout any trials, any persecution, anybody trying to slander us, make fun of us, or mock us, or any hecklers? Is that, do you exhibit those four marks of a genuine believer, or are you in vain? That is a question that we all have to ask ourselves. It's a true or false, a yes or no. There is no partial Christian. There is no carnal Christian. There is Christian and non-Christian. And we have to be able to examine ourselves in order to see, have I sufficiently sought the Lord for the forgiveness of my sins? And have I confessed that sin and repented for my sin knowing that only through Christ can we see that faith that he has provided for us through his death. And so now, please join me in prayer. Lord, through your servant and your apostle, Paul, in just these four short verses, we have seen that we must hold to the gospel. We must stand in it. But ultimately we know that we can only stand in it because of your work on the cross. Because of your son who died on that cross, was buried, and now on the third day he arose. Lord, only through that gospel can we see your sufficient grace for us. And we can see that now through scripture, Lord. And I just plead, Lord, that if there's anybody here that has not sought you, Lord, for the forgiveness of your sins, Lord, please extend your grace to them and be able to show them. Lord, I pray that they may be able to see, that they may know the facts of the resurrection, but is that truly within their heart? Do they know these things in scripture? But has it truly penetrated their heart and actually made them a new creation, have made them and renewed their heart, Lord? Lord, I pray that they showed these marks of a genuine Christian through all these trials, and they're not believing in vain. This has truly renewed their heart. And now, like Paul, want to be able to share that with other people. That looks like in so many different ways today, Lord but it's still the same where we are sharing and using ways to be able to show that truth of the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on that cross and to show that to other people. Lord, I pray that they seek you for the forgiveness of your sins, of their sins, and just be made right with you, Lord, for we are all sinners. We are all strayed far too far away from you Lord but only through your work Lord as the faithful shepherd that you now bring us close once again 
Thank you, Lord. And I pray that these people come to not only know you, but be renewed by the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross through the gospel and be made into a new creation. I pray in your name. Amen.